Okay, this is First Baptist Church for Sunday, November 5th, 2023. How are you? <laughs> Thanks for having me here today. I truly do appreciate and count it an honor to be able to stand behind the sacred desk and proclaim God's word to you. And um, as Dennis said, continue to pray. It's a blessing to know that Brad is recovering well from his surgery. And soon we'll, the pastor will be back here being able to continue the wonderful work that he's been doing over the past 35 years. Amen. Uh, I believe God has a word for us today and we'll be coming from the scripture Luke chapter 10 verses 30 through 37. <clears throat> Luke chapter 10 verses 30 through 37. I don't want to knock any of these over. That would be nice. Oh, these are for me? Okay. So when you find it, it reads, Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell amongst the thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Verse 34, so he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell amongst the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time to come here from you today. We pray that you open our hearts and our minds that we may receive a word of encouragement so we may leave this place differently than how we have came. We pray that you be glorified in these next minutes that we are standing here hearing from you. I pray that I decrease and you increase to your glory. In Jesus' holy name we do pray. Let the church say amen. 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 The title of today's message is The Priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, a Parable of Jesus, commonly known as the Good Samaritan. Now, parable is a story that utilizes commonplace, real-life possibilities to represent a hidden reality. Jesus, in his parables, uses real-life situations to make known hidden realities not yet revealed about his work, his kingdom, and the character and behavior of the subjects who will one day be residents of that kingdom. Now, to set up for the parable that Jesus is speaking about right here, in Luke 10, verses 25 through 29, he is confronted by a lawyer of the law. And the lawyer asked him a question. He said, what must I do 
to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, well, what does the word say? So the lawyer, he repeats Deuteronomy 6, 5 and Leviticus 19, 18. He says, you must love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus goes, correct. You answered correctly. But he has a follow-up question because this person has an agenda. And Jesus is going to use this situation as a parable to reveal something that has not yet been revealed about himself to the glory of God. So to justify himself, it says, he has a follow-up question. He says, well, who is my neighbor? Now, this question exposes the lawyer's heart and a desire for self-righteousness. He wants to know how he can justify himself in the presence of a holy God. Now, in our text, Jesus uses real-life possibilities to reveal a hidden reality about himself. First, we have the plight of a person traveling along the Jericho Road. It is crime-ridden, right? It is robber-infested, right? It's a place where the fear of God does not exist. It sounds a lot like some of the neighborhoods that we're living in today, not in our inner cities, but across the globe. So we had this man who was walking down, and he is robbed, left to die. And then we have three people that Jesus brings into the story. We have the priest, we have the Levite, and we have the Samaritan. The priest and the Levite are Israelites, right? And they are lead, the ones who lead the people of God into worship. They are described as being indifferent to the plight of the man in need. On the surface, and then we have the compassionate Samaritan. Now he uses these three people and the situation, which is real life. This is a treacherous place. People do get robbed and do get killed and are left to die on this road. So it would not be out of the ordinary for this to happen. Now the fact that the priest and Levite did not go near this man is really what they were supposed to do. Remember, in those times, according to the law, they were not supposed to come in the contact of a shadow of anything that was dead. So the fact that they stepped across to the other side of the street was really them fulfilling God's law. And we're going to see how Jesus uses this to reveal a deeper understanding of who he is and why he had come and what he was about to do. Because at this time, he is on his way to Jerusalem. He is teaching his disciples what they must do once he dies on the cross, raises up from the dead, ascends into heaven, his spirit is poured out. They were supposed to take up his ministry and continue what he had started. Amen? Amen. So we have to reveal to the Lord and to us how much more and how much greater obedience is over sacrifice and manifesting God's love that God commands. To manifest the love that God's command, obedience is better than sacrifice in making that known. 
Now the Israelites and the Samaritans, they had no love for one another. They did not like one another whatsoever. Samaritans were a remnant of Israelites who had intermarried over the years with people of other nations that worship other gods. And as a result, they turned from the worship of the one true God, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So we had these group of people who are intermarried with people who do not worship the God that Israelites worship anymore. And throughout the Old Testament, the Jewish people are recognized as God's chosen people. And as descendants of Abraham, they are heirs to the promises of God. Now the Lord knew this, so being compared to a Samaritan in this way had to confuse him. I am a priest. I go into the temple. I handle worship for your people. And you're marrying me to this Samaritan? And there are words that I can't say up here that they use to describe these people. But Jesus is doing something greater. He has to teach a reality about himself. So he's using real life situations in order to do that. Now, prior to the resurrection, the key to inheriting God's promises had yet to be revealed because it was still a mystery hidden in Christ. What the lawyer didn't know is the key to inheriting the promises of God was not rooted in his race, it was not rooted in his ethnicity, nor was it rooted in his ancestral lineage to Abraham. The Apostle Paul tells us that God made known to him the mystery, which was hidden from the sons of man but has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles, you and I, are heirs too to the promises of God. Of the same body and partakers of the promise of God in Christ through the gospel. The priests and the Levites, they did not know this so, so, so they're, they're like, in an attempt to justify himself, Jesus is going to teach him something. I would like to think that after the resurrection, that it came to him, and he became a believer like Nicodemus, and went out and talked about what God, I, 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 I would like to believe that, but I'm not sure. But in going forward... In this parable, Jesus doesn't elevate the Samaritan over and above the priest and the Levite as an endorsement to transgress God's law and become like the Samaritan. On the surface, it may appear that way. Because that would include the worship of another God. And we know that Jesus is not informing or leading anybody to worship another God other than the one true God. The intention of the parable is to put the focus on continued obedience to the law of God across the Old and the New Testament. This is extremely important in our current society because the law of God, which brings life, is looked upon as something that brings death, 
looks upon as something that is antiquated, is looked upon as something that is no longer necessary. And if you read his word, we know that that is not true. So the intention of the parable is to put the focus on the continued obedience to the law of God and what obedience would look like and in whom it will manifest after the resurrection. He was showing them what obedience would look like and in whom it will manifest post the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you only compare the actions of the priest and the Levite to the Samaritan apart from the resurrection, you'll miss the hidden reality, which is the neighbor is the one who keeps God's commands without, without, without transgressing God's law. Whether they're a Jew, whether they're a Samaritan, whether they're a Gentile, they didn't know this yet. His mind is probably spinning at this time. So, moving forward, in order to keep God's command, the following must take place in the life of any individual. Any individual. These things must take place. Number one, you must be made holy. You must be made holy. And this is something that God does. We can't do it by ourselves. He is the one that makes people holy. Now holy in this case means to be set apart from what defiles and what makes one unclean, what makes one impure. It's a state and condition predetermined by God into which he calls his chosen people so they may enter into his presence. The only way you can enter into the presence of God is if and when you are made holy. So, one is made holy only when what defiles is removed. That's the only way. And up until this point, the only way for what defiled someone to be removed was through a sacrifice. That was the only way. And the priests and the Levites were the one that was in charge of the sacrifices. This Samaritan wasn't. This Samaritan wasn't. They were holy under the Old Testament. But Jesus was teaching that something different was happening right before their very eyes. He was setting them up so when they raised him up, hopefully they looked at him and the truth opened wide open and he believed what Thus saith the Lord. So one is made holy only when what defiles is removed and the remedy was a sacrifice. Ephesians 2.13 says, In Jesus Christ, you, me, us, who were once so far off, had been brought near by the blood of Christ. We just sang that song. Ah, the blood of Christ is the only thing that makes someone holy. It's not about our righteousness. It's not about being self-righteous. It's about what he has done. So to keep God's command, the following must take place in the life of any individual. One, they must be made holy. Two, you must be filled with God's spirit. God does this also. Isn't this something? So the foundation, we find that God does the first thing. He makes you holy. 
He does a second thing. Once that happens and you're washing his blood, he fills you with his spirit. <clears throat> now the word of God and the spirit of God equips the people of God to fulfill the law of God. The law will not produce the fruit of the spirit in the believer. Only the spirit of God in you will produce love, will produce joy, will produce peace, will produce long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Stop beating yourselves up. Look to him and he will empower you to fulfill his law. So number two, you must be filled with God's spirit. What the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God has already done by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. So the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in you. Just think about that. God's law being fulfilled in you. And you know when you get behind closed doors, that, that is a miracle. Be for real. God's law being fulfilled in us. Just think about some of the things that you have done, you are doing, and you plan on doing when you leave out of here. God is going to fulfill his law in you. And that is something to be joyful about. <clears throat> so it said, fulfilled in you who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So the first thing, we must be made holy. Second thing, you must be filled with God's spirit. God does both those two things. The third thing is on you. And it's what you have to do. And it's what you're required to do. It's what we are required to do. Is that we must submit to the Father's will. And we must do this daily. He has no robots. There are no guns pointed to our head. He wants us to love him freely. He wants us to freely worship him. He wants us to freely accept his will for our lives. And he loves us to the point until we do that. He doesn't force anybody to come into his kingdom. But every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. And it's better to do this on this side of earth rather than eternity. Because then your knee will be forced to bow. Amen. Hallelujah. So obedience is voluntary submissions to the Lord's will. Now let this mind, in Philippians 2 it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ, who is God, who took on flesh, came down and walks amongst us, died on the cross, buried in a tomb, resurrected, rose, and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father with the promise of one day to come back and get his kingdom. And us, the subjects of that kingdom, will be with him for eternity. Amen? And it is nothing that you have done other than Believe. <laughs> you got to believe. But he makes you holy. He fills you with his spirit in order that he can show his love for us so we can willfully, voluntarily submit 
to his will. So in summary, the neighbor is one who keeps God's command. Number two, the neighbor is holy, equipped, and is humble. And number three, the neighbor is the one in whom God's strength is made perfect in weakness because they, we, you, embody the finished work of Jesus Christ in your flesh. Amen? Amen. And there's people on the Jericho Road out there that we are called to interact with, that we are called to tell, I think John said about, we are called to tell about the goodness of the Lord. We are called to go into places like Cuba. We are called to give testimonies of what God has done for us. We are called to do certain things because until the last person comes into God's kingdom, we gotta continue this work. Because when that last person comes in, he is coming back. And he has promised that. And guess what? The enemy, Satan, knows that too. So his main job is to keep this from happening. To keep this from happening. Because the more the knowledge of God is spread across the, war, the world, the more people are going to be brought into his kingdom, the more people are going to be made holy, the more people are going to be filled with his spirit, the more people are going to be willingly submitting to the will of the Father, to his glory. In closing, the example for us to follow in fulfilling God's command to love the Lord with all our heart, mind and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves is Jesus Christ. In him we are set apart and empowered by the spirit to live in submission to God's command and to be the neighbor to the world to the glory of God. Your obedience to God's commands is a manifestation of God's spirit at work in you. Your obedience, my obedience, our obedience to God's command is a manifestation of God's spirit at work in you. That was such a freeing experience for me because I am far from perfect. Don't talk to my wife. She tell you all the words. Don't talk to my brothers and sisters. But I'm not by myself. But it's, but, 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 but it's what the enemy uses. Those who have come through that Jericho Road, those who are living on that Jericho Road, to let you begin to tell yourself that God doesn't love you. There is no way God can make you holy. There is no way God will fill you with your spirit and if that, with his spirit. And if that's the case, why would you want to even submit yourself to his will? But our obedience to God's command is the manifestation of God's spirit at work in you. And therefore, it is a much greater manifestation of God's love and compassion than God's law. God's law is necessary, but God's spirit is a much, 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 much greater manifestation. When it works 
in his creation to produce a voluntary submission to his will, which is what Adam was supposed to do in the beginning, but he failed. And Jesus now shows us under temptation how to do this thing in the midst of our flesh, in the midst of our weaknesses, in the midst of our hurts and our pains and our doubts and our fears and how we support one another in making this happen. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ because it is by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, least any man, woman, or child should boast. Because we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we, we, we thank you, Lord, for revealing to us your love for us. We thank you, Lord, for letting us know that it is you that makes us holy. It is you that fills us with, with your spirit. It is you that grows the love and shows the love to us from you of us that we may willingly submit to your will. Father God, you know what we stand in need of today. We pray that you help everyone under my voice continue to grow and be that neighbor. Be the one who submits to your will each and every day and shine as lights into the world. Lord, we thank you for this. In Jesus' holy name we do pray. Let the church say amen. amen.